That song is a great reminder of what our lives are all about, your purpose and mine. We weren't created for ourselves. We weren't created for our own ends. We were created for something much bigger, something more eternal than anything we see around us. Today, I'd like to talk about how that purpose connects to our nation and what it looks like to be a part of a nation that is filled with forward purpose. All right, so whether you think that's where we're starting from or not, that's where we'd all like to be. And, uh, and I think that there's, there's some exciting things to discover, first of all, that are embedded in our own history, and we'll look at a couple of those, but also some principles from God's Word that can animate the purpose of our lives and thus translate into a shared national purpose that we all so desperately need. Okay, so uh, over the last couple of years, we've been talking about on each Memorial Day or Fourth of July, we've talked about what a national vision is and what it looks like, okay? So a national vision is our shared picture of a future that inspires us to reach forward. And, and as the Bible says, without a vision, what happens to the people? They perish, okay? So let me ask you this. Should we trust this, like our shared picture of the future to inspire us to reach forward, should we trust this to politicians to give us that? It doesn't seem like they're doing all that great of a job because if you ask someone, hey, like, what's the future for America? What's the vision? What are we all reaching for? I have a feeling you would get either a non-answer or a thousand different answers, but there's certainly not a shared vision that everybody has in their heart, and we're all excited, we're leaning forward, going, yes, that's what unites us as a people. So that's kind of led me, and just in my own life, and prayer, and wondering, where should this vision live? Like, if we're not going to trust it to Washington, D.C., where should we find it? Where do we find it? Hey, well, it doesn't seem like media is going to give it to us. And probably you could look at other sort of influence structures and go, I don't, I don't know that media or education or other places like that are going to be the place where this lives. Somehow that's, this has to come out of us as a people, right? We have to live this. So then I say, well, part of this, I think, actually can live in the context of church, like right here as we're talking about it, um, where we're already dedicated to God's purposes and we're already dedicated to seeking the best future that's possible and to love our neighbors and to do justice and say, well, if there is going to be a national vision, maybe it needs to live with us. Some people would say, well, that's, that's kind of hard to do. Like if you mix church and patriotism, it doesn't always fit so well. It can turn people off. Say, well, just because something's hard to do doesn't mean that we don't do it. It's the right thing to do. And so today we're going to do it. We're going to look at what God's purpose is for our country, but through a lens of what God's purpose is for you and I, okay? Because I really believe that if our purpose personally is right, that's going to inform our national purpose. Um, so over the co- last couple of years, and if, you, if you're really into this, you can scroll back through our podcast and see, um, you know, a few years ago we talked about how America needs to be a humble nation we talked about how we need to be a grateful nation. Last year, we talked about the fact that we are a powerful nation and that there's incredible responsibility that comes with that great power. And today, we're going to look at how God has given us a purpose uh, to reach for, to live for. Uh, and each one of us personally, whether or not the rest of the nation follows, is not even the issue. Uh, you have a reason to be here. You have a purpose for your life. And, and if you can wake up in the morning with intentionality, if you can wake up and say, I know where I'm going, I know what God has called me to do, uh, you'll be moving forward. Whether or not the rest of the country follows you is, I guess, their decision, all right? So America has had a few different shared purposes over the years. So before we get into our message, I thought we'd have a little fun with this and see if you recall where these purposes came from. 
All right, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to give you a picture and a quote, and I want to see if you can tell me either who said it or what document or place that you could find it, okay? So, and you can, you can shout it out if you want. I mean, if you really want to show off how much you know about American history, <laughs> this is your moment. And so I'm one of these people, I enjoy this stuff, and I never get that moment. Like, no one... No, no one ever just says, Dan, just tell us about history. Well, if you are like me and you're always yearning for someone to ask you, here you go, here you go. okay? So loud and clear, um, who said this? Give me liberty or give me death. All right, and what was the context? This is right before the Revolutionary War, and he's, he's standing up and he's saying, is peace so sweet as to be purchased with the price of chains and slavery? No, give me liberty or give me death. He wanted to throw off the rule of tyrants far away, those British, the British king, and, and that, that America could set its own course. And so for that revolutionary generation, this statement was one of a few that kind of animated this sense of purpose. Like we know what we're reaching for together. We're reaching for this moment of liberty that none of us have experienced before, but we know it's so close at hand. Okay, here's another one that you might recognize. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live up to the true meaning of its creed that all men are created equal. Martin Luther King said that, right? And so that, in that civil rights era, gave us this sense of purpose, like there's a wrong that needs to be righted, there's something that needs to change. And so we step into that with, with boldness, and, and, and you could wake up in the morning and go, like, we as a people are accomplishing something as we work this direction. Okay, now you've all probably said this a lot of times. Liberty and justice for all. Where do we find that? It's in Pledge of Allegiance. Um, but I also look at this as sort of a shorthand purpose statement for America, right? I mean, if you think, what is America actually for? What, what was it founded to do? What is it always trying to do? Uh, what are we reaching for? Say, well, liberty and justice for all is pretty much the purpose of our country. That's why it's so great to live here, right? Because we're in a country that that's the reason it exists, so different eras, you say, well, that ebbs and flows how well people aspire to that ideal. But that's the ideal, and it's in front of us, and a lot of us say it every day. Okay, so here's another one. We'll make it a little harder now. Okay, a city on a hill. Now, you've, you've heard this because um, Ronald Reagan made this popular when he kind of reiterated what was said even before. And this, this actually comes before the revolution way back at the, the original kind of landings on, on, on North American soil. And who was this group of people in the picture? Pilgrims, okay. And who was the leader, like the pastoral leader of the pilgrims, who actually said, like, this needs to be a, a city on a hill? Anybody remember his name? Some of you know. That's awesome. All right, yes, John Winthrop. Um, and so his sermon well, kind of gave this sense of of an aim to America. Like, what are we trying to accomplish here in this grand experiment of going to the new world and having freedom and not having kings and princes and dukes and lords tell us what to do? What is all this for? Well, we're to be a signing city on the hill because the whole world is watching. Like, all these people around the world who've lived in oppression for all these centuries, they're wondering, like, is it possible that people could rule themselves? Is it possible that God could be their king rather than some earthly master? I suppose that experiment's still ongoing, right? Okay, this one, a new birth of freedom. Hopefully you recognize that guy. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, and that's at the Gettysburg Address when he's, we're, we're finally vanquishing what, you know, the remains of slavery as a way of life in America, and he says this nation, like we have this purpose, we, we need this new birth of freedom, and we're, we're going to charge into the future as a free people. And he say, yes, that's what I want, that's so exciting. 
Okay, then we get to another era where someone said that the purpose of our nation now, we need to mobilize to make the world safe for democracy. Yes, wow, who knew that? You knew that? Awesome, man, that's great. Okay, so kudos to Sarah there. That, yeah. um, Woodrow Wilson said that to mobilize America to go and to kind of rescue Europe from the, the pit of World War I. And, and the purpose was not just to help those people, it was the fact that someone needed to take up the torch of leading the world into a democracy, into some freedom. And so that was the moment when America said, yes, we'll take it on. Okay, and that got, that got tested then, just not that many years later, when someone said this, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. That was FDR uh, during that, that speech when he talked about the day of infamy, the day that we'll live in infamy when Japan attacked Pearl Harbor in Hawaii and uh, America had to enter the war. And, said there, and what's, what's amazing about that statement is you think sometimes when wars get fought, there's disagreement and there's politics involved and you're not quite sure what the purposes are. This was fairly straightforward. Uh, we are going to win. And if you follow the quote through, he says, through to absolute victory. Like there was no question about what we were doing in World War II. All right, now here's another one, a little more recent. A goal nationally was to land a man safely on the moon before this decade is out and just have him safely return. Yep, that was JFK who cast that vision, and then NASA, of course, fulfilled it in 1969. Uh, one more, even more recent, kind of a shorthand for a lot of purpose in our hearts as we experienced what event? Where did this come from? 9-11, and who said, let's roll? Who was the first person to say it? Todd Beamer said it, and then I think probably everybody said it after that, right? It just became sort of this, this chant, this rallying cry in our hearts to say, like, we recognize that we've kind of been asleep, we've been... We haven't been very attentive to what's going on in the world, but now we recognize there's an enemy and there's a reason, and we've got to wake up in the morning and try, so let's roll. So all of these statements kind of give us this sense that as a whole nation, we were mobilized into something, right? Now, here's a scary thought. What is that today, right now? Like, what are we all leaning forward to do, to believe Say, wow, there's probably a lot of division about the answer to that. Right? It's not very clear. And, and I don't know if you could point at any one person and say it's all their fault. I mean, this is like culture-wide. Without a vision, people perish. So, strength for any national purpose, I believe, is drawn from our sense of individual purpose. So you can't live your life with no reason to wake up in the morning and then expect that the rest of Americans will. And you can't think, well, I'm just going to spend my days scrolling Facebook and eating Doritos, but think that my, my government is somehow going to do all the right things. Uh, no, if, if you want national purpose, if you want a sense of shared vision for the future, like we're going somewhere, you have to be going somewhere, and I have to be going somewhere. And that's where I think this connects so closely to our own lives. That's really easy, especially in a nation with 330 million people, to kind of think it's someone else's fault and it's someone else's responsibility to take the reins and do the right thing. But what we find, and really the gift of America, which is also the responsibility of America, is that you have to do the right thing. That's the whole point of what all of this is. So what happens if we lose individual purpose? Like what happens to you? We probably all had days like this. I have days like this when I feel sick. You know, and I realize, okay, I can't go to work. I'm really not worth anything to my family, and so there I am, like, laying in bed, feeling terrible, 
And what do you end up doing? Like you just literally end up doing your time, like spending time rather than investing it. You just end up wasting away. And that's what can happen to a whole culture if a sense of forward purpose is lost. Okay, that could happen in any organization. It could happen in any family. And it can happen in any nation. Like when there isn't something to reach forward to, generally when you're in neutral, you start rolling backwards and kind of getting out of control. All right, so here's a few observations of what happens personally and then, of course, nationally too when when you lose purpose. So your productivity declines, right? That's like the first tip-off that something's wrong because all of a sudden you're just not trying. Like there's no reason to try because you you don't have a goal. There's nothing in front of you. And then destructive habits start to grow up in your heart. Um, and and you're, you're tempted into things that you know aren't healthy, you know aren't who you want to be, but suddenly you're going the wrong direction. And, and culture-wide, this can happen. Um, families start to disintegrate, because if there's no purpose for tomorrow, then why should I put up with difficult relationships? Why should I invest in other people? Um, something that happens geo, like kind of in the, on the big uh, the geopolitical level that you can study out if you want to is that cultural groups that lose a sense of vision their population starts to shrink. There's a lot of different individual factors, but it's an amazing thing. I mean, without the vision, people actually do start to perish. Like, there just isn't a reason to keep going. The culture itself loses its will to move forward. Um, Future consequences start to be ignored, which I think, you know, really personally, when I lose my own sense of purpose, that's when it's easy to go off the rails, right? Oh, just who cares? I'll spend all the money I have because I don't care. Um, and you go, wait a minute, what, like, what, is, what is our whole country doing? Oh my goodness, that might be us, right? That, that the future consequences, so all of a sudden it doesn't matter what 10 years from now looks like because there's no purpose today. Uh, resolve against evil is lost. And I look at all those amazing victories that are kind of referenced by the things we just went through. All, those, all, all, the, all the wars that were fought and the amazing achievements and go, every single one of those took resolve, it took purpose. Uh, when that's not there suddenly that cultural drift just starts to lead to atrophy and to apathy, and suddenly nobody really even cares if right or wrong happens. And joy ultimately disappears without purpose because you in your own heart know that without a purpose to animate you, there's no reason to smile, there's no reason to reach, there's no reason to try. So what does God have to say about all this? Like, what, what is our purpose in life? And then how do we sort of live it and send that forward so it becomes a national purpose. Before I answer that question, I want to share with you something about a fallen empire that we're all really familiar with because it was the empire during Bible times, and that was Rome. Now, Rome had everything going for it in much the same way that America has everything going for it today. You think about it, Rome was the preeminent power not just militarily, although they were that. They also were the preeminent economic power, and even more powerful than that, I think, is the cultural power. Everybody wanted to do what Rome was doing. Everybody wanted to be a Roman. And, and here's an amazing story that was found, an actual novel that was written during the reign of Nero, so during the New Testament era. Um, this novelist wrote about what he saw as corruption in imperial Rome. And as I read it, you won't need a whole lot of commentary because the parallels to what we experience today are so striking. Um, It's really quite stunning, all right? So this is sort of a summary of the content of this novel that was written back in 60 AD. Um, here's Here's what happens. 
The novel plots a wandering odyssey of three lazy, overeducated, and mostly underemployed single young Greeks. How many of you are in that? No, <laughs> go ahead and admit it. That's who. Um, they aimlessly mosey around southern Italy. They panhandle and mooch. They mock traditional Roman customs. The three friends live it up amid the culinary, cultural, and sexual excesses of the age of Nero. Now, on the sea coasts of the Roman Empire, what had started to happen, according to this novel, which is sort of a critique of their culture at the time, people stopped caring so much about being Roman, and they thought of themselves as more Mediterranean. Um, They thought of themselves as citizens of the whole world, sort of rulers of the whole world, if you will. Vast, unprecedented wealth had produced license to do whatever anyone wanted to do. So urbanites sucked up to flatter the rich in hopes of being given estates rather than having to earn their own money. And the rich, in turn, exploited this by offering false hopes of everyone landing an inheritance. Characters in the story were fixated on expensive fashion and exotic foods and pretentious name-dropping. They are the lucky inheritors of a dynamic Roman infrastructure that had globalized three continents. Rome had incorporated the shores of the Mediterranean under law, science, and institutions that were all uniform, all kept in check by a massive bureaucracy and the overwhelming power of their legions. Never in history had a civilization up to that time had so much wealth and leisure and been so eager to gratify every conceivable appetite and yet so bored and so unhappy. There was also another Rome in the shadows. People would bump into the rustics and the shopkeepers and the legionaries, what we might now call those who are out on the fringes. Globalization had enriched and united Rome and non-Romans into a single world culture, which they thought was an admirable feat. But the consequence of that was that the customs, traditions, and values that led to such astounding Roman success were seen as antiquated and outmoded. It eroded their nationalism and their patriotism. The size, wealth, and lack of cohesion ultimately diminished their unity, as well as their ability to rear children, engage in marriage, and have sound institutions. Education, this is an interesting description of the education of that era. It says that the education was ambiguous. Students become idle, pretentious loafers. Uh, Professors are no different from loud pendants. Writers are trite and boring, and elite pundits sound like gas bags. The novelist implied that whatever was happening in that moment did not seem sustainable, but at least it would be exciting during the decline. With too much rapid material progress can come moral regress. In a summary, as one person read this novel and had it translated, is this. Getting married, raising families, staying in one place, working with our hands, postponing gratification, may be seen seen as boring and out of date. But nearly 2,000 years later, all of that is still what keeps a civilization alive. So... What we find ourselves in is a moment in desperate need of purpose, or we'll lose what has been handed to us. So where do we find that purpose? Where do we begin? So if you want to see a revived American purpose, my premise is that you have to start with your own. 
You have to decide to make your life count. So let's ask God through the scriptures what our purpose is and how we find that forward momentum we're so desperately needing. So first of all, in Colossians 1 verse 16, uh, it talks about the fact that everything, everything was made through Jesus and for Jesus. Our purpose is rooted in our creator. Everything about who you are, everything about what you think you own or what you do or where you're going, it all is for God. If you lose that, you start to, you start to unravel, you start to lose the sense of direction, the purpose that you were created for. Um, our purpose, secondly, is expressed in our identity. Okay, so you can look at the very beginning of the Bible and say, when God made people, like this is before nations, before anything else, when he made us, what did he make us to be and to do? And it says, well, he made us in his image. So he had this divine purpose that was different than the rest of creation for you and I. And, and so when we think about who we are and what we're supposed to do, we recognize, well, this is not just material. This is not just me existing to try to whatever, get to the next fun event or earn the next dollar. There's something bigger about my life. I was made in God's image. There has to be a reason for that. Okay, and then we find, thirdly, that our purpose is tied to a much larger and, and eternal plan. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.10, this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. So you can say everything we believe in that's in this world, including America, is in that sentence. Everything is designed ultimately to become part of the kingdom of God. And, and what we're doing here is, is we're anticipating that time, we're preparing for that time, but anything in this world is not an end into itself. It all is supposed to add up to the glory of God. And when we miss that, when we neglect that, when we leave that premise behind, we start to discover that we miss God's purpose for us. All right, so how does this sort of impact our thinking? Let me give you a couple interesting thoughts here about how our country is structured actually to give you a runway so that you can live your purpose in life. Okay, some cultures aren't structured this way. Um, we've been given an incredible inheritance when we say liberty and justice for all and that we're free. And what does that actually mean? Well, it means that you have the opportunity to live your divine purpose. People aren't going to force you to do it. And it might be the easier road not to do it, but you can take up this mantle that God has given you and say, yes, I will live as he created me to live. All right, so here's a couple concepts. Um, this divine purpose is why free speech and the free exercise of faith and free press and self-defense and limited government are in America seen as human rights. That's what our Bill of Rights is all about, or those things, right? And, and we would say those things aren't, aren't sort of gifts from a benevolent dictator somewhere. Those are actually intrinsic to who we are as human beings. Like God has loaded that in, and we just have the blessing of living in a culture that recognizes those rights so that we can exercise them and thus have that much more runway into the purpose of our own lives. All right, another is that the divine purpose that we have is why private property and self-direction are fundamental roots of our moral and political system. So if, if you aren't any more than just the molecules you're made of, if you're just, if you're just earthly, well, then you could just be sort of a cog in somebody's wheel and you have to serve whatever master is more powerful than you. But if God is actually in charge of your destiny and if your purpose transcends this world, then no, then, then no earthly system commands you. 
Instead, you actually have the opportunity, like what you own and what you produce and what you believe and what you say and the choices you make all matter uh, if God has a purpose for you. Okay, and then one that I'm sure you're all really familiar with in the Declaration of Independence is the premise that because we see this purpose as coming from God, it means that government is only a servant of the people. It's not the other way around. And if you think, why did all of those people die on those battlefields defending America? What were they defending? It was essentially this premise that, that, that our lives are supposed to be lived in liberty, not because the government says so, but because God created us that way. All right, and that's what the Declaration of Independence actually says if you read the words of it. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So where did the rights come from? Came from God, right? Not from the fact that you're an American. Like, do non-Americans have the same rights? Absolutely they do. Every human being has these rights. We just have this incredible blessing of living in a culture that affirms them. Okay, so the the rights are that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. And I think one of the greatest dangers we face in our generation is that this concept gets lost, and and that we start thinking that rights are something that government gives to people, and it just becomes about politics at that point, instead of saying, no, there's actually a transcendent reality here. Like, God has made you... As, 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 a, as an individual who matters in this universe, and you're not just a cog in the wheel, and you're not just serving some system, um, your life has a purpose, and no one can take that away, and no one can tell you uh, that your purpose doesn't matter as much as their, theirs does. Uh, to me, that's the very essence of freedom, is that you get to walk in purpose. All right, so we live in a culture that affirms those human rights. We're excited about that, and it's given us all these amazing opportunities like because finally there was this grand experiment and it worked and it, and it generated so much dynamic activity and opportunity for every person who wants to engage in it. You say, well, what am I going to do with all of that? And here's where I think God has a word for each one of us, not really in our capacity as American citizens, but as human beings. And the fact that you're an American citizen is just a benefit you get. The fact that you're here and you're in a place where the people around you are fighting for your rights rather than fighting to take them away. All right, so what I believe we should do is resolve in our hearts to wake up in the morning with purpose, to not let ourselves drift and float as it would be so easy to do, and back in ancient Rome, as it was so easy to do, that you can kind of coast on the infrastructure that's already provided for you, but rather to decide that that God has put you here and now for a reason, and you want to maximize every aspect of what that means. All right, so I'm going to give you, just to send you away with a few things to think about, a couple resolutions uh, that you might make this Memorial Day weekend. All right, the first one I find in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. And that is this resolution to make the most of every opportunity. So at the same time that that novel was being written about ancient Rome, much of the New Testament was being written. And so when we read this, we recognize that a lot of what Paul is talking to the churches about, they're living in the culture that was just described that we were just reading about. And here's what Paul said to the church of Ephesus about these things. He said, be careful how you live. If you can't control what the whole rest of the world is doing, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 
So you could say, Lord, I recognize that I've been given incredible blessing and heritage. I also recognize that there's a lot of evil and confusion around me. And so I will step forward with purpose every day and say, I want to make the most of the opportunities that are handed to me. Uh, I don't want to let any of those slip by just being on autopilot, just drifting through life. So resolution one is just to resolve. I'm going to make the most of it, uh, what God has given me as an American. The second resolution is to love God with all of my heart and to love my neighbor as myself, which really, as we find in the scripture, that is the purpose of life summarized right there. And so we'd say, Lord, as much as I have power within me to live a life of purpose, I recognize that this is it. Uh, my purpose isn't money, it's not fame, it's not power, it's, it's, my purpose is this, love, to love God first, to love my neighbor. And, and even as you think about how you operate as an American, you can kind of run it through this grid. Like sometimes when I'm thinking about economics or political theory, I'll actually think, well, my, my, the real controlling ethic ought to be that I love my neighbor as much as I love myself. And so whatever benefit I wish was extended to me, I, I want that to be extended to my neighbor. You know, in whatever way I hope my life goes, I hope that can happen for my neighbor. I'm not in this for myself, I'm in this to serve. All right, so that, that, can, that can not only guide us like into our decision-making as an American, but it guides every aspect of who we are. All right, a third resolution to think about might be to add as much value as I possibly can to the world around me. We looked at this last week uh, when we talked about repentance in, Eph in Ephesians 4, how when Paul was addressing people who were thieves, and he said, rather than being a thief, like rather than being a taker, instead, work so hard that you have extra to give away. Say, man, that's part of my vision for life. Uh, and that could be our vision as American citizens to say, Lord, we want to, be, we want to be hardworking. We want to add as much value as we can to our communities and our neighborhoods and through the way that we work diligently um, for, for you, Lord, of course, first of all, and for others around us. The fourth resolution is to be grateful for every blessing that I experience. Romans 1 talks about how cultural drift uh, cultural disintegration begins when people don't glorify God and then when they won't say thank you to God. And so I never want to take that first step down a dark road. Instead, I want to be the kind of person who's always thankful, who's always so grateful for every blessing uh, that, that, I mean, most of the blessings I experience and you experience every day, we didn't earn it. We, don't, we can't say we deserve it. Um, but, but here it is in front of us. And so we say, Lord, thank you. Uh, I, I am grateful in my heart for all that this means, that I get to live in such a prosperous place, um, that gratefulness should lead us to humility. And then here's the fifth one, and one I'd love to challenge you with today. Um, it's, I think if there was, we've talked about the purpose of America, um, this is in, in essence the mission of America, that we would extend freedom and justice to others. So you've grown up in a place, many of you have, that has given you so much freedom, so much justice compared to what the rest of the world experiences. Um, and now part of your mission is to not hoard that for yourself, but to seek, how, how, how do I share that with others? Uh, when Isaiah was prophesying to the people of Israel, in Isaiah 1, he talks about how they're, they're to instead like love the oppressed and care for the fatherless and and make sure that the widows get justice. Like you're looking out for people. If you're in a position of plenty, if you're in a position of power, you use that to look out for people who don't have what you have. And so as an American, we can say, Lord, with to whatever degree we're blessed, this is not just for us. This is actually for us to share. All right, so um, I, th 
I believe that our founders viewed America as a means for something to happen, not as an end in itself. Hey, think about that for a second. We get resolved, we say this is what our purpose is. America isn't a purpose into itself. A lot of world empires were. Babylon was that way, Egypt was that way, Rome was that way. It was all for the glory of Rome, right? All for, all for the glory of the pharaohs. America isn't an end to itself. It's just a runway. You're the one in the airplane. You get to take off and go where you will. That's the gift of it, that's the beauty of it, that's the responsibility of it. And so the means that were created were really a means that offer you the opportunity to pursue your purpose in life without some overlord telling you how to do it. And so the purpose of America is to empower your purpose. So it comes back to us, doesn't it? Say, wow, I I wish we all had a shared purpose as Americans. Well, that begins with you living out yours. So here's a way of framing it in prayer that I want to encourage all of us to pray, um, not because these words are particularly the right words, but because, um, because we have a blank to fill in in our hearts and in our lives. All right, the prayer is this, Lord, based on the freedom, the blessing that you have given me and that so many of my countrymen have fought and died to protect, I choose to, the fact that there's a blank there is what America is all about. You get to take the next step. You get to wake up tomorrow morning and you can fritter it away like the people in ancient Rome did or you can seize the moment, seize the opportunity that God gives you and live every day to its fullest. So let's pray and let's ask for God's help as we fill in that blank and as we try to live the purpose that he's made us for. Lord Jesus, we are so, so grateful for the fact that people years ago, centuries ago, set in motion the kind of nation we get to live in right now. And that our purpose as a human being doesn't have to be defined by politicians or kings or anyone else other than you. And so, Lord, we look up to you and we say that we want to follow you and we want to live the kind of life we were created to live We recognize that the fact that there's no persecution upon us for doing that is a blessing, and that many people have to live out these biblical principles in hostile environments around the world. They have to keep their faith a secret. They they can't speak up. They They can't agitate for change, and yet here you've given us an incredible runway of liberty to be able to take off and live out our purpose for you. Help all of us to make the most of that incredible opportunity. We're so grateful for it. In Jesus' name we pray.